Hello and welcome to the London Legal Podcast, presented by Hodge, Jones and Allen Solicitors. Our leading solicitors share their views on latest legal issues and developments, and how the law might affect you, because we care about righting wrongs and providing first-class personal legal services. So please enjoy this, the London Legal Podcast, presented by Hodge, Jones and Allen Solicitors. Hello, and welcome to the second edition of the London Legal Podcast. My name is Jacqueline Major, and I am head of the family law team here at Hodge Jones and Allen Solicitors. In the first episode of the London Legal Podcast, my colleagues from our dispute resolution team looked at buying a property. Following on from that, I today am going to discuss cohabitation as a family type, what a cohabitation agreement is, what it can cover, and whether it is a good idea for you. Joining me today for this discussion is my colleague, Barty Shah. Barty, over to you to introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. My name is Barty Shah, and I am a partner in the family team at Hodge Jones and Allen. Like Jacqueline, I specialise in all areas of family law, particularly divorce and financial provision, and children matters following on from divorce but also increasingly disputes amongst cohabitees whose relationship has broken down. This is partly why having a cohabitation agreement in place will make life a lot easier if the relationship fails. Thank you, Barty. I can see, looking at the gov.uk research on families, that number of families continues to grow as a type of household with large increases for same-sex couple families. Married and civil partner couple families are the most common family type throughout the UK. And the 2018 figures show that family type covers 67.1% of families. However, cohabiting couple families are the second largest family type. And there are no less than 3.4 million cohabiting couples. That is around 17.9% of the population. What is decreasing is actually marriage and civil partnership and cohabiting couple families are on the increase. And this has been a steady trend since 2008. Barty, why would you say cohabitation is on the rise? There are lots of reasons that this could be the case. Partly, it is an increase in cohabitation before people actually decide to get married and has in a large part to do with there not being any social stigma in cohabitation outside of marriage. It used to be much more frowned upon generally to live together before marriage. Here at HJA, we have definitely seen a rise in the number of people splitting from a partner, that is not in a marriage, but in cohabitation, and needing help to sort out property and other matters arising from the breakdown of that relationship. Unravelling particularly finances after a cohabitation is much more complex than on the breakdown of a marriage and that is why we encourage people to set up a cohabitation agreement between them before they cohabit. Let us turn then to what a cohabitation agreement is. It is a contract. Couples who live together and enter a cohabitation contract And these contracts are likely to cover the rights and obligations that they will have mainly on property or other assets such as joint accounts or any joint investments, any expensive belongings they may have purchased. And then what would happen with all of this 
if there were to be a breakdown in the relationship. These sorts of contracts are very similar in principle to what are commonly called prenups, prenuptial agreements or premarital agreements, which also seek to regulate what will happen with property and finances if the parties subsequently divorce. Now, prenups are not binding, but what about cohabitation agreements, Barty? They can indeed be binding as contractual. Freedom is one of the core principles of the English legal system. Obviously, whether or not such a contract will be binding will depend on the content and how it has been drawn up and whether it meets basic contractual requirements, which is why these should always be drawn up by a qualified lawyer. If done properly, it should indeed be binding. If, for example, a couple later had children which were not covered by the cohabitation agreement, then there may be other claims on behalf of the children that can be made. But if on separation the couple do not have children, then it is all the more reason why the content of the cohabitation agreement should be the beginning and the end of what happens with the assets. Jacqueline, what would you say are the main contents that most people want in cohabitation agreements? Well, the exact content of a cohabitation contract is obviously a matter for the individual couple concerned. The real benefit is if a couple buy property together and the contract can deal with how that property is held, how any mortgage is paid, so the proportions of payment for each party, whether there is a joint account, and if so, who is going to contribute what, how the bills are going to be paid. So we're really looking at an agreement on what would happen within the relationship. And really important, what if the relationship breaks down? How should property, joint accounts, belongings be divided up? It is, of course, open for people to put all sorts of other clauses in. And some may wish to write down even to the extent of who does the cleaning each week and how should a washing up rotor be organised. But I personally think that's going a little too far and is a bit unnecessary. But some people do it. Yes, they do. And at the end of the day, these agreements are bespoke and people can put in what they wish within reason. But mainly it is to cover assets and it usually contains a declaration of trust which sets out how a home or other property will be held, in what shares. This is very important if there is an unequal contribution to the purchase price. It is also important if a party already has a property, because even if it is in their own name, a claim may be made later down the line. If, for example, the other party can show there was an intention that they would have an interest or they've contributed to the mortgage or paid sums of money to renovate. Yes, we see a lot of such cases and they are very costly to litigate. It's far better to set out intentions before cohabiting, especially if you already own your own home. Let's stick to property and finances as being the key parts of any cohabitation agreement. Some people may wish to put in something about children, whether they are going to have any, and if so, how they would be brought up. Again, it is largely tailored to each individual, particularly on the detail. But I would say not to worry too much about issues like that, because I cannot really see how that could be binding on a party anyway. 
one party says, I do not wish to have children, and then the other decides that actually they do want a child, where would you go from there with a cohabitation agreement? I suspect, although there's no case on it, it would be pretty unenforceable. Other areas that are relevant though would be, for example, life insurance, where one party or both are to take a life insurance policy out, who is going to fund it, who would be nominated as the beneficiary, and also, for example, whether any nominations should be made under pension schemes. And don't forget inheritance and wills. That can be covered in a cohabitation agreement, as in expressing the intention that one party will provide for the other and vice versa by will. Also, you can put in a clause about how any dispute will be resolved. So, for example, the parties may decide to resolve any disputes through mediation. Yes, and also importantly, would be a clause dealing with a variation or a renewal of the contract. And at what stage would it be reasonable to have a review as the relationship progresses? Let's summarise then where we are. Top tips, Barty, on having a cohabitation agreement? Do have one. If you are buying a property, you need to set out how that property is held, what the intention is to pay the mortgage, etc. going forwards, and what will happen if the relationship breaks down. It will save a lot of legal costs and acrimony further down the line. Keep it short. Keep it to do with finances unless you really want to include all sorts of other matters. But be mindful of costs. Include things like joint accounts and who contributes what, how bills will be paid, etc. And personal items of value. How are they going to be purchased and how are they going to be distributed? if the relationship breaks down. Absolutely, all very sensible and good legal advice. One final point, for those of you who think that pre-marital agreements and cohabitation agreements are unromantic and they are shy of approaching something like this with their partner, what would you say to those people, Barty? Well, it is a common sense approach. If you are able to speak to your partner about these sorts of things prior to the relationship beginning, how much better will the relationship be for having covered things like this up front? It does not take away from romance or the wonderful side of setting up a relationship. What it does do is show that good common sense can apply. These sorts of issues can be aired and far better to address things like this upfront, as we have already mentioned, to have to unravel everything should the relationship go wrong. It can also be looked at as an insurance policy. You take out insurance if things go wrong. You may never need it, but it is there just in case. Too right. And we hope that listeners will take note and consider cohabitation agreements amongst all the other things they need to sort out when setting up a home and a relationship together. That concludes the second episode of the London Legal Podcast, and we hope you enjoyed it. Tune in to the next episode, where our colleagues from the Hodge Jones and Allen Wills and Probate team will be looking at the importance of making a will when purchasing a property. Be sure to follow Hodge Jones and Allen on SoundCloud and on social media so you can keep up to date with the podcasts and all aspects of law. And of course, if you have any questions, do contact us. We will be happy to help. 
thank you for listening to the London Legal Podcast, presented to you by Hodge, Jones and Allen Solicitors. To listen to more podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud or visit our website www.hja.net for interesting opinions and the latest legal information. Or if you need our help, call 0808 2780 216.